0: It's time for episode 147 of the Clockwise podcast from Relay FM, recorded Wednesday, July 27th, 2016. Clockwise, four people, four technology topics, 30 minutes.
1: Welcome back to Clockwise, the tech roundtable that's the lesser of four evils don't think about it too much. I'm your co-host Dan Morin and across the country from me is my co-host Jason Snell. Hi Jason. Dan, our listeners would be served well if they didn't think about anything too much. <laughs> uh, this is the show where we talk about four technology topics with two fantastic guests. To my left this week, the uh, developer of such luminary apps as pCalc and DragThink, Mr. James Thompson. Hi James.
2: Hi Dan. Uh, well, the only thing that I didn't prepare today was my opening statement. So, um...
0: But it's already over, so you're good. Well, James is to my right. I've known him since the 90s. To my left, I've also known her since the 90s. It's Shelley Brisbane, a writer, uh, movie fan, and uh, one of my colleagues at MacUser back in the day.
3: Hi, Shelley. Hi, we certainly did. And I've been preparing this opening statement till the 90s and it's done me no good because I'm still not done.
0: Dan, I think, was
1: in, like, (laughs) elementary school in the 90s, but that's okay. The rest of us... Whoa, whoa, whoa. A which part of the 90s? (laughs) All right. So now that we've moved on and appropriately dated all of our participants this week, let's start with topic number one, which is mine. Rumor has it Apple may incorporate some form of retina or iris scanning into a future iPhone. I was curious, uh, what are your feelings on biometric security in general and some of the risks that come with it uh, and some of the benefits? Do you prefer it to passwords do you worry about the implications of someone compromising your fingerprints or iris patterns or your face i always worry about someone compromising my face (laughs) uh thoughts james well
2: i've always thought of the touch id sensor and biometrics generally as being a trade-off i can unlock my phone just about instantly but yeah i'm going to be leaving fingerprints pretty much everywhere i go so it's not as secure as a as a proper long passphrase Um, There was the story just this week about a security researcher being asked by the authorities to create a fake finger of a dead man to unlock his iPhone to help solve his murder. Um, So, yeah, I mean, a retina scanner would be a step up initially until such point as retina scanners becoming commonplace. And then presumably everybody is going to have a copy of our retina details. I mean, wait until some optician has a data breach and your eye records are being sold on the black market. And the problem with biometrics is you can't change your password if something gets compromised like that. And, you know, not to mention the dangers of movie bad guys removing your eyes to get past their scanners. Uh,
0: Yeah, I I think James has hit on it. One of the problems with biometric stuff is that you can't replace, you know, you can't change your fingerprints. You can't change your retina pattern. So if it is compromised in some way and that's what you're using for security, uh, that's a problem because uh, then you're in trouble. However, what I like about Apple's approach with Touch ID is that it's being used for kind of light security, the heavy security of things like your, you know, your Apple ID password or something like that. That's still something that you need to enter from time to time, and you can't just get by with biometrics, and I think that's a good compromise that that uh, your your data. Also, they, they say they're not storing your data. They're storing some information based on the data that allows them to identify your fingerprint, but it doesn't. Uh, they're not storing a fingerprint scan on the device, and they're not storing anything in the cloud cloud and i think those are the challenges because i do think that will happen Uh, i love this science fiction story aspect of an an optometrist data breach leading to people losing their bank accounts but uh, that will probably happen because somebody will build a, a biometric system that isn't properly secure and does store data in the cloud and they will lose that data and then those people will be like oh yeah i can't use my fingerprints or retina scans anymore because they were compromised and oh well i have to remember this huge password now uh, it 's totally going to happen, so it 's a convenience, but uh, I would be wary about about using it uh, for everything that i that I use, but to unlock my iPhone and my ipad i don 't worry about it for that i think uh, I think that stuff is is cool for for simple stuff like that
3: maybe I should be more worried i I choose carefully what to be super worried about, and this is not one of those except to the extent that uh, biometrics could be used to identify you, not so much to take away your information and do bad things with it, but that if somebody got a hold of the pattern and was able to, say, in a, in a crowd of people, identify you at, where you didn't wish to be identified and against your will. That's always been my uh, negative feeling about biometrics. I think I, Jason's point is well taken that biometrics being part of the means by which you get into a device uh, would certainly make it easier, would make it more accessible to some people. Uh, I... At, at this moment, I'm not frightened of it, but uh, you know, thanks for giving me something to consider worrying about at a later time.
1: Well, I think you guys are right that it's always a trade off. I mean, I thought hard about signing up for the um, the TSA Pre um, because of the fact that you have to go give your fingerprints, and I thought, well, my fingerprints aren't like they're not on record anywhere. Like, not to say they couldn't be retrieved from my surrounding environment, but like they certainly weren't any place that would be. Uh, liable to have a data breach, like James was suggesting, uh, and so I thought a while about that, and I decided that the convenience trumped the you know potential uh you know security risk at that point, but I think that the important thing that we 're all focused on here is that the the way to approach this is sort of as one factor among a multiple factor security approach Uh, you know just relying on biometrics is no more secure than just relying on a password really um they both have their upsides and downsides uh you don't have to write down your fingerprints anywhere but like you know you, you do have to have them with you and you can't change them so having security that relies on multiple factors biometric and a password for example or biometric a password a two-factor code some of those things are all very important um you need to have a balanced approach to security but i i have touch id on on my iphone and my ipad and i i don't have any concerns about that in particular and in part because apple has been so diligent about the way that they've laid out how their security works doesn't mean it won't change but for now it's a trade-off i'm comfortable making Uh, Thanks for your thoughts on that. James, what's your topic?
2: So in the wake of the UK Brexit vote, the, shall we say, mildly polarized election you're about to have over there, and generally one of the worst years in recent memory, uh, we're clearly in the end times, you know, the... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> the collapse of western civilization is surely imminent
0: and that's our show see you later <laughs> <laughs> stop watching the clock people <laughs> uh,
2: my response to all of this doom and gloom was to buy a new television uh, what tech purchases have you made recently or are considering making in a misguided attempt to dull the unrelenting misery that is life in 2016 and did they work not too long ago, I bought uh, an Xbox One,
0: which I'd been telling myself I wasn't gonna uh, gonna buy, and uh, then I also kept telling myself that it was gonna be uh, because my kids would want to play on it, and it is true they are playing they're playing on it. But I'm buying a lot of uh, games for that too, and I'm playing more games than I have in a little while. I just played at James's recommendation. In fact, I played Inside, which is was a really excellent game. So I, I think that's on the list. I keep buying smart home things, um, but I, I I'm not sure whether that's me trying to take my mind off the apocalypse or to hasten it (laughs) let's just let the robots and the computers uh infiltrate my home go ahead i'm ready
3: I also bought a television. I bought a small uh, TCL Roku TV for my office, and that was a big deal for me because we've had one TV in this house, which for a very long time, and that TV has been at the far other end where the living room is, and I brought it in my office partly as a second screen to use it as a monitor, but also on occasion there are uh, breaking news stories that I might want to uh, consume while I work, and uh, so it's a little easier to pop on the TV than it is to Open a web browser and size it correctly and remember which keyboard shortcut will get me full screen and all that sort of thing so um I am having this sort of weird feeling of having a TV in my office, and I worried for a while that I would be tempted to uh, watch more than the maybe one hour of TV uh, a week that I have been in the past and uh, so far it's been dark most of the time i've I've watched. Just as much as I want to, I haven't uh, lost control of myself, but uh, I am ready for the apocalypse only in the sense that I will be able to watch whatever portion of it is televised from the comfort of my office instead of my living room.
1: Yeah, uh, television, truly the opiate of the masses, I guess, if it's not video games. Um, I also bought some smart home stuff. Um, although I think that's partially been because my girlfriend is away for several months, so I just needed a project. Um, and yeah, forestalling sort of the apocalypse and feeling like the, the world's going to end, that doesn't hurt. Um, did it work? Uh, for a little while. I guess that's the problem with all these things, right? Like you invest in something like, oh, this is going to be great. And then you get it and you set it up. And I, I always enjoy the challenge of setting things up and like, you know, tweaking the technology. And then once it hits sort of a stable, a stable point, I'm always like, okay. I'm kind of done with that, and then my eyes start drifting to the next thing. So that's always the danger with the retail therapy, is that 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 fix is only temporary, and next time you need to take it to a higher level.
2: Yeah, so the the day after the Brexit vote, I ordered this Samsung brand-new 2016 smart TV. I didn't want to buy one, but my old Samsung TV had been gradually giving up the ghost, which I think I've talked about previously. And I figured that the value of the pound was about to plummet to absolutely nothing, and I should probably order something quickly while I still could afford it. Um, I'd done some research, but clearly not enough. So it initially arrived with two right feet in the box. And as metaphors go, that was pretty apt for the rest of the experience. But the thing that came up when I finally plugged it in was a screen that wanted me to consent to additional advertising being superimposed on top of what I was already watching, as well as transmitting all my viewing habits back to Samsung, 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 Samsung helpfully highlighted the I agree to all button I declined all Um, because I did not take up their generous offer of being data mined I now have this permanent terms and policy setup item in the little doc equivalent at the bottom of the screen and it sits there as a constant reminder of my transgressions (laughs) making me feel like Winston Smith (laughs) taking an (laughs) ill-advised stand against big brother So I have now entirely disconnected the TV from the internet and I'm considering wrapping it up in tinfoil in case it makes a break for one of the open (laughs) Wi-Fi networks around here to inform on me to the authorities. The TV also considers itself smarter than me and really wants to control all my devices. It actually does this surprisingly well, with the one minor exception being that the back button on the remote does not perform a back on my PlayStation 4. So I can start watching Deep Space Nine on Netflix, but I can't ever stop watching. Um, <laughs> <laughs> What's, where's the problem? James? Yeah, on, on reflection, that might not be a terrible thing. But I've spent the past month debugging a wide variety of problems with it. And while it has like a lovely 4K deep color picture, it certainly did not bring me the true happiness I believed I was paying for.
0: All right, uh, two topics down, two more to go before the world ends, apparently. So let me tell you about our halftime sponsor. Uh, this episode is brought to you by Linode, a combination of high-performance SSD Linux servers spread across eight data centers around the world. Mine's in Dallas. It makes Linode a fantastic solution for your server infrastructure. You can get a server up and running in under a minute, and plans start at just $10 a month, which will now get you a server with two gigabytes of RAM. It's pretty incredible. You'll be able to choose your resources, your Linux distro, and your node location all from the web-based manager tool, and once you're up and running, it's easy to deploy, boot, and resize your server with just a few clicks. It's true. I've done it. It's super easy. Linode has more than 400,000 customers. They're all taken care of by a friendly 24-7 tech support team. They're even open over the holidays. I have used them over the holidays, in fact. Uh, If you have something you need help with, they are there for you. Linode's committed to improving their infrastructure. They recently made a switch from Zen to to KVM. Their latest Unix benchmark showed a 300% performance increase. Linode is the full package for your server infrastructure needs they have the power you require and the infrastructure and assistance that you want so as a listener to clockwise you can go to linode.com that's l-i-n-o-d-e.com slash clockwise and you will support us and get twenty dollars toward any linode plan and there's a seven-day money-back guarantee so there's nothing to lose go to linode.com slash clockwise to learn more sign up and take advantage of the twenty dollar credit or just use the promo code clockwise 20 at checkout thank you to linode for sponsoring clockwise Okay, halftime's over. It's time for my topic. Here it is. uh, On his quarterly conference call with analysts, Apple CEO Tim Cook said that augmented reality is going to be huge. This was in a question about Pokemon Go, of course, where Tim Cook referred to Pokemon as... Pokemans. As Pokemans... Leaving pokeman's aside for a moment, what do you think about augmented reality? is this something that we're all going to be using in the near future? Are we all going to be just walking down the street seeing those uh, pokemans all around us uh, AR uh, is it going to happen shelly the
3: the funny thing about it was what I was going to say before we're getting that little surprise just now was that when I read through the whole and the entirety of Tim's quote. I continue to be impressed with the level not only at which he engages his audience but the, the depth at which he seems to have thought about these things. And that, that may seem like a no-brainer but CEOs are notoriously uh, not only tight-lipped and, and engaged in business speak but they don't often uh, wax in as much detail as Tim did. So I was impressed with that and I felt like if, if Apple is going to get into augmented reality in a in a financial way that they, they've done more thinking about it than just saying, well, there's a pot of uh, – Opportunity let's just jump in because we're Apple and we have the money for it so to you know i I, I don't have a, a lot of feelings about augmented reality and where it might take us, although I think it will be beyond Pokemon go. I think it will be uh, useful in a, in a variety of applications, and I think Tim is aware of that, so I feel like uh at least for the moment augmented reality. The part of it that Apple will be a part, uh, have, the part of it that Apple will be taking on will be in good hands if, if Tim has anything to say about it.
1: I just want to conflate this with James's question and say, can we all just go live in the augmented reality? Because it <laughs> sounds like it's probably better there. Um, I'm not. Con- I don't know. This is interesting, right? Because augmented reality apps have been around even on the iPhone for years. Um, I remember some really early on. Um, I don't remember if Yelp had it or something else. I think Yelp does still have one, but there was definitely an app where you could like hold up your phone and like look around and it would show you like, oh, there's, you know, where the restaurants are and like give a little hovering ratings sure. using the actual camera. Like that's been around forever. And there's
0: WordLens, yeah. which was fairly early on that let that would translate street. Translate signs. things, yeah. Yeah. And
1: so it's not that the augmented reality part has gotten that much better. It's that I think it's it's conflated with a perfect storm of great IP and something that is just really viral and Addictive to a certain extent in the in the sense of like game playing like right it's it's compelling you want to go out and do these things Um, so I don't think that this necessarily I think this might catapult AR in the sense that it will be easier for people to grok as an app like oh it's like Pokemon Go right like there's now a successful example to compare it to and it may spur people who were worried about investing in an app that uses augmented reality because they have again an example of something that succeeded really well whether any of those follow-ons will succeed as well as pokemon go did i think remains to be seen Uh, i think augmented reality is very interesting um but i i think that it's also challenging to use on the phone because how much time do you want to spend really like with your phone out in front of you i mean there are some you know cases in which we do that we take pictures etc but i'm not sure how much time people really want to spend holding their phone out unless there's something truly compelling to be doing there um, I think Google gla- Google learned this the hard way with Google Glass because, you know, that if anything, that was a device that was really primed for augmented reality and it never really took off. Well, it didn't even do AR, really. It was right. Just, exactly. It wasn't interacting with your 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 world. That's no. the use, case, Like, you know, the idea of like, OK, there's an augmented reality that's always on. If you could walk around and just look around and see Pokemon without pulling your phone out, there are some people who would probably find that pretty compelling. Um, I'm not convinced. I think they're going to keep looking and maybe there are some other great applications for it, but I'm not convinced that it's just, it's going to take off like gangbusters now.
2: Well, I've been seeing Pokemon all around me for at least 20 years, but nobody believed (laughs) me until now. (laughs) Um, I think Pokemon Go is likely a fad that will pass in a month or two. And you can quote me in a month or two when it's, uh, it's not, but, um, I think that game is far more about the location-based gameplay aspect of it rather than the visual AR stuff, really. I mean, the first thing you should do is switch off the AR mode because it makes them a lot easier to catch. But it's all Zubats around here anyway. (laughs) But, I mean, I can see the appeal of overlaying information on the real world. But doing it with a phone, uh, as you said, is pretty uh, awkward. But people just look dumb wearing the headsets, as as Dan said, with the Google Glass. You know, I can slip my phone back into my pocket and go back to looking like a relatively normal human being. But even with an Apple-designed headset, I can't see something discreet appearing for decades. I mean, the question is, would you go on a first date wearing one of these? If the answer is no, then it's not going to be a mainstream device. I think it's far more likely that people are going to wear... AR headsets for work and for games and things indoors as a replacement for a traditional screen. But I don't see people venturing out into the street wearing uh, these headsets for quite a long time. So what I think is interesting about to what Tim Cook said and Shelley got at this
0: is that he he said he's saying no, oh, it's going to be big. We you know we're working on things. It's going to be big. I'm fascinated by that because that is like saying to everyone, yes, yes, we are working on some AR stuff. Now I can't tell whether this is like the opposite of that thing where Steve Jobs would say nobody wants something and then release it the next week and say, well now you want it because we released it. Are they doing a head fake to Microsoft? Is this one of those things where where Apple's like, yeah yeah, keep working on the Hololens. Yeah oh yeah, keep working on it. Well Apple like convinced that it's not going to be anything he said the same thing about
1: vr too though yeah like about six months ago
0: so yeah so my my feeling about uh about ar is that i think it is going to be big once somebody can create something that looks like a pair of glasses and nothing more than a pair of glasses not a helmet not a giant visor but a, a pair of glasses and that it lets you you overlay subtly or not a bunch of information from the internet uh whether it's pokemon or whether it's uh you know restaurant reviews or translating street signs I think that will happen and I think that would be great but I'm not sure that's something that's going to happen anytime soon and in the meantime what we have is uh, things like the HoloLens which while very impressive as a developer developer kit are expensive and Cumbersome, and so it's going to be a while before it's something that people want to wear out and about. But I do think it's inevitable that that we're going to have a lot of our internet interface not be a little rectangle we pull out of our pocket and look at, but uh, floating in front of our eyes because we're wearing glasses, and also whispering in our ear uh, with a uh, kind of voice recognition AI stuff. Sweet, sweet nothings. It, it's possible if that, or kill all humans if the well, apocalypse is Well, there's your first date
3: application right there <laughs> <or something. laughs> Whispering in your just ear. Just put
0: this in your ear. My app is called Cyrano. <laughs>
3: exactly. Anyway.
0: I, I, I think I, I think it's not a double bluff, although I, I laugh at that idea that they're just trying to get Microsoft to spend more money on something they think isn't going to work. But, uh, I, you know, I think uh, I think Apple is doing a typical Apple thing, which is like the HoloLens is not a product that people want to buy. And rather than talk about it and show it like what Microsoft does, Apple's just working on it and keeping it quiet until they've got something that they think will actually be a saleable product. But uh, yeah, so credit to Pokemon Go for, for allowing me to explain to a lot of people what AR is, who didn't previously care or want to know about it that part's good all right thanks for your comments on that we have one more topic Shelly what do you have
3: so Adobe Lightroom is coming to the Apple TV, and Apple highlighted Adobe products when it did the release of the Big Daddy iPad Pro. And so my question is, are Apple and Adobe, after years of strife and struggle, uh, becoming better friends? Or is this just the inevitable continuation of two companies that are dependent on each other because of the dominance of Apple in the world of visual creators? And also, is anybody going to put Apple uh, Adobe Lightroom on the Apple TV?
1: So I think the way this went is there was a time of butting heads there where, especially over Flash, and then basically Apple seems to more or less have won that hands down. And Adobe has kind of retreated into their corner. Uh, And I think Adobe has gone back to doing, you know, a lot of the other stuff that they had focused on, which was, you know, professional applications for people working in, you know, visual and and, uh, media realms. Uh, And I think that's probably a better spot for them. Uh, And I think as, as such, as you said, because of Apple and Adobe's interlinked history and the fact that, you know, Apple computers get used very heavily in those industries, I think it's not really a huge surprise that they're, um you know that they're they're promoting adobe's apps i think even more to the point right like apple's trying to sell hardware to these people who are in these fields and by saying look we run the adobe software and, and you know we have a good relationship with them it makes it a more compelling piece of hardware and something they're more likely to buy so at the end of the day uh i think it's just it's about money it's about money and selling products and making sure that the tools that their customers want are the tools that run well with their products
2: Well, speaking as somebody who's released a calculator for the Apple TV that might not be the best (laughs) fit, um, I can't really comment, but I think it's uh, probably a combination of both things. And I don't think Apple has close friends as such. They're just the popular rich kid in school that everybody wants to know right now um the graphics performance of max definitely seems to be lagging well behind the pc uh so i'm not quite sure how long that they're going to be the sort of the dominant uh people in visual creating markets uh one actual use for this seems to be professionals who have their whole workflow in lightroom and they can now present stuff to clients more easily on a on a big tv using the the Apple TV but yeah i think this is most likely it's developers who are sitting around and when the Apple TV SDK came out they were like what can we put on this let's let's you know do something small to see how it works.
0: I'm somebody who's got one of those big daddy iPad Pros. I like that, Shelly, That's great. Um, and I'm also a, somebody who pays for Creative Cloud. I pay I pay for the Lightroom Photoshop bundle every year and I use Photoshop almost every day. And as an iPad user I have to say I'm really frustrated with the way that Adobe has approached the iPad up to now. They've got like five different Photoshop apps uh, and, a, and a Lightroom app for the iPad and I find that none of them really fit my use case, or if they do, I'm unaware of how they do it, and it's very confusing to me. And so that's actually my complaint about Adobe's relationship with Apple's platforms: is I'm not quite sure. Although they're doing stuff on iOS, I'm not quite sure what they're doing makes a lot of sense, at least to me as somebody who uses Photoshop. And I find that there are other tools that are better at it than uh, than the, than the Photoshop apps. And it's frustrating because I do pay for it, and so I get those apps, and I. I have access to it and I just don't find them particularly compelling. So that's my question is uh, sort of, I I, I would rather honestly have something that they just called Photoshop that ran on iOS that I could use instead of having the four different Photoshop apps like they do. So I don't know what they're doing. Um, I, I, you know their apps aren't bad on ios and uh i think adobe is you know getting over some of its problems of the last few years but you know you look at adobe in the big picture and they're kind of a marketing company now (laughs) and the creative tools are almost sort of pitched as tools for people who are making marketing (laughs) which is not me so i'm a little less inclined but uh i still have been using photoshop for like 20 years i've been using photoshop longer than i've known shelly and james that's how long i've been using it so it's hard to give it up
1: Today is all about how old we are, huh? Yeah,
0: right. speak for yourself. Except and the, the end other. of the world,
3: <laughs> right? It's this. It's the same conversation, right? Uh, in fact, there is a marketing cloud. When I started to think about this topic, I went and I looked at Creative Cloud because it's been a while since I was up to date on what you get and all of that. And the, the two things that surprised me were how many iOS apps there are for Adobe Creative Cloud. And the other thing was just how confusing the whole structure is. So I totally agree with Jason there. I was like, wait a minute. So there's Photoshop fix and there's this <laughs> fo- Photoshop. I I don't know. I'm glad I don't have to deal with it. The, the reason I got interested in this topic initially was that we have an old copy of Lightroom running on a PC. And that's actually how my family by which I mean my husband manages our photos. And so I was like, okay, well, it might be interesting to put Lightroom on the Apple TV. And then I looked further and I realized that this was, as as one would imagine, because of the way Adobe does things now, all tied up with the uh, Creative Cloud. So I guess that's probably not going to happen for us. But when I started to think about how to answer the question, I came to a conclusion similar to what James said, which is that I think it's about being able to present uh, your photo library or portfolio or whatever images you're needing to collaborate with other other people on uh, in an Apple TV format, it probably was not an app that was that took a great deal of of thinking about. Uh, given that, given the structure of Creative Cloud and the structure of all the other iOS stuff that that Adobe has, so I probably won't be putting it on my Apple TV. And as somebody pointed out, uh, apparently the images from Lightroom uh, on Apple TV are low-res and, uh, and uh, Apple TV not supporting 4K and those images being low-res. It's, it's really going to be proof-type images as opposed to, you're not going to be editing images, obviously, but neither are you going to be evaluating the, the ultimate quality of images by looking at them on your Apple TV. It's going to be a way to present the content that you have and figure out what to do with it next.
1: All right, that's four topics. Uh, We've got just enough time for a bonus topic. Uh, it's summer. Uh, That means most of the TV shows I watch are off the air. So I've been catching up on some things that I have missed out on. Have you binged, watched, or caught up on any shows lately? Anything you want to recommend, James?
2: Well, as I said, I've been working my way through Deep Space Nine again. Not always through my own choice, but uh, (laughs) I'm surprised how much it holds up. I'm also surprised that I can remember the plot of every single episode so far, and I wonder how much of my brain is full of Star Trek and what other more useful things I could have kept in there instead.
0: For, for me, I'm uh, finishing a binge of the first season of Mozart in the Jungle on Amazon, which is a pretty good comedy uh, that I've recommended on other podcasts. Also, the second season of uh, Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt. Uh, I'm going back. I'm watching The Americans, which I missed when it first was on, um, and that's uh, I'm watching season one of that on Amazon as well. And I watched the first couple episodes of Stranger Things on Netflix, which is new. But I've I've been watching that too, and that's a that's a sort of a pastiche of like Steven Spielberg movies from the '80s and Stephen King novels from the '70s and '80s, and is fun. Although, uh, you know, is it looks kind of cheap, but it but it is fun.
3: Surprisingly, I actually have an answer to this question. I always catch TV shows long after they. First began, and, and so is the case with my answer here. Um, I've just discovered BoJack Horseman, whose third season just came out on Netflix, but which started obviously two years ago. And it's a uh, it's an animated comedy of comedy, I guess. It's also depressing, but in a good way, uh, with an anthropomorphic horse who is a washed up television star from the '90s as its lead, and it's it's really funny and really well done. And um, Keith Oberman is a whale newscaster is hilarious. So, BoJack Horseman.
1: Uh, Well, I'm going to sound a little bit like Hopping Jason, but I will say first that I watched all of Deadwood finally, many, many years after that aired. Uh, I watched the first two seasons of Halt and Catch Fire, which I really enjoyed. Now I'm looking forward to the third season. Uh, And then I watched, I already watched all of Mozart in the Jungle. Apparently I have a lot of time on my hands. Uh, And I am now also going back and watching Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt, which I had not watched in the first place. So I'm about halfway through the first season on that, and I'm really enjoying it. Um, so there you go and lots of other good suggestions in there so thank you all for uh, you know for facilitating my binge watching habit hmm. uh, I think that's all we've got time for so let's thank our guest James Thompson thank you so much for being back on the show
2: uh, pleasure to be here I hope the world doesn't end before I can come on again <laughs> Yeah, likewise and Shelley Brisbane
0: it's been a pleasure if the world is going to end I'm glad that I got to spend these 30 minutes with you
3: Thanks for having me. I think I'm going to uh, buy some scotch so that when the world ends, I will at least have an economical high to see me through.
0: All right, Dan, we did it. One more in the books. But we'll be back next week with four more tech topics and two more wonderful guests, as always. Unless the world ends, Jason. Always a question. But until then, we want to remind everybody out there, listening in a non-threatening way, of course, watch what you say. And keep watching the clock. It's later than you think. Whoa. (laughs) Whoa.